it is the season for gardening and composting. And I'm so excited, Ellen, because this past weekend, I finally cleaned up my garden bed and I got it fertilized with compost from my Lomi. If you want to start making a positive environmental impact like Rabia and I, or you just want to make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. All you do is you take your kitchen scraps, you put it in the Lomi. By the morning, you have, I mean, it's overnight. It's incredible. Head to Lomi.com slash solve the case and use the promo code solve the case to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to lomi.com slash solve the case and use promo code solve the case at checkout. Food waste is gross. Let Lomi save you a cold trip out to the garbage can. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Rabia and Ellen solve the case ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Rabia, before we get to the episode, tell them all the fun things we have going on. There's a lot happening. We're, we're keeping busy. We really are. Yeah, we have a pretty brand new Patreon, our new little baby. Our new little baby Patreon. The one thing that always kind of upset me after all of our recordings was we had so many more things to talk about. I know. Every time we finish, I just look at the time and I'm like, we have five more minutes to talk through these 18 more pages of notes. Yeah. <laughs> So basically, our Patreon is just that. It's chock full of all the things we didn't get to in the episode. So there's tiers all the way from $5 a month to $15 a month. You will get bonus episodes two times a month, which is basically the things we didn't get to in the episode. Plus, a really great thing is since we're doing part one and part two, you can receive both episodes, both parts on Thursdays. So you never have to wait for part two. And then we've got an ad-free tier. We've got a tier where you can get both episodes for that particular case a day early, 24 hours early on Wednesdays instead. I mean, like, look at what we're doing for you guys. We have monthly virtual hangout. We also have a monthly speak pipe episode. There are tons of bonuses and we want to hear from you because we're making this content for you. We're so happy that you all wanted to hear more. So head on over to patreon.com and search Rabia and Ellen and there will be tons of bonus things that you can take advantage of right now. Yep, we are all here for the same party. Join us. And what else is happening in May? It's coming up, Rabia. I got my sequins ready. They are ready. I know I keep talking about them, but I'm very excited, Ellen. Just bear with me. We hope you are going to be able to join us for our live show on May 4th in Atlanta at 8 p.m. at the Punchline. We're going to have our friend Payne Lindsay back. And so excited. We're so excited. We're going to be having lots of fun. We're going to be solving cases, giving you all hugs. There is a Q&A for VIP guests. And we have another special guest coming too, right? We have another podcaster friend who's going to pop in for the show and I'm going to pull her up on stage because her opinion matters. It really, really does. So head on over to any of our socials and click the link to come and see us live. We cannot wait to see your faces. It's our first public live show, guys. Come on out. It's going to be a blast. Okay, on with the show. Hey, Ellen. How are you doing, gorgeous? I am good. How are you doing? I'm surviving. It's Ramadan. I'm hungry and thirsty. (laughs) You heard it here. She's hungry and thirsty. Well, in the corner of our little chat is, it's so funny because I feel like I know him, but introduce our lovely guest coming to us all the way from Los Angeles. We all know him. Our guest today is the Mr. Andy Richter. Hi. Oh my gosh. Hi, guys. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hi. 
How are you? I'm good, thank you. We are so excited. I was thinking about you in the car today, Andy. And it's so funny when we have all these amazing guests that I feel need no introduction. But we still got to do one. But we still have to do one. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not offended. I, I, I think I need an introduction to, you know. <laughs> It's fine. Everybody it's fine. knows Andy Richter. I asked Ellen and our producer, hey, should I ask Andy Richter? And they're like, what, well, you know Andy Richter? I was like, he follows me on Twitter. I don't know why. I don't know why. <laughs> but I have a distinct, and I still, I'll, I don't even want to know. I'm not going to ask you why. But do you remember when you DM'd me and asked me for the recipe for a chicken spinach curry, Andy? Yes. 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 Can you believe Pollock, this? Pollock chicken, I think, is what it's called. Yes, isn't it? Pollock yes. chicken. That's right. Was that a COVID thing? Were we all like doing crazy stuff then? Is that what, what that was? I don't no, remember. I, no, because I mean, I like my kids, my daughter mostly. She's like, everything you make is a stew. And, and so curries are stews. And I just, and I yeah. really love them. And I saw the recipe that you. I think I just, uh, yeah, you you made it. Maybe I you tweeted were, a picture or something. Yeah, I, think I made you it tweeted a few yeah. pictures, like maybe like a yeah. you know like a series of them. And I was like, hey, give me the deets on that. And uh, <laughs> and I've made it a million times since. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to my peeps from Pakistan. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm marrying a vegetarian, so uh, oh, I'm gonna have to tragic. alter it. Yeah, I'm gonna have to <laughs> figure out to do it with tofu or something. No, no, do it with paneer. Do it with paneer. Oh, She's with not paneer. Sure, sure. That's a great idea. Yeah. Paneer is delicious. Yeah. I remember when we had this conversation, I screenshotted it and sent it to every WhatsApp group I'm on. I'm like, you're not going to believe what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> <wants> the recipe. <laughs> Honestly, for another time, Rabia, I, I think you need to have a cooking show, though, for real. <sighs> it's like my everyday. I just cooked for an hour before I got on here. When I get <laughs> off, I want to cook again because we spent half of the days in Ramadan cooking so when we can eat. I mean, it's just, it's a story. Anyway, I should tell folks about you now. So let me do a little introduction. Okay. Andy Richter is, as everybody knows, an American actor, comedian, screenwriter. You have credits for film, production. I mean, of course, there's this little show that you were on with Conan O'Brien that some folks might have seen you on. I don't know. Three different ones. Oh, yeah. There's Late Night with Conan O'Brien, The Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien, which has been, they've tried to erase from the collective memory, but I remember it. Oh. Seven months of, yeah. of tension. And, and, <laughs> and Conan then, on TBS. And then Conan on TBS for a little uh He just follows years. you everywhere, right? It's like everywhere you go, he follows you around. <laughs> no, no, I fo- I followed him. I followed <laughs> he he gave me the chance to come back. Uh, I mean, I came out here and, and did a few sitcoms and then he gave me the chance to come back and make TV every night, which mm-hmm. is just you know, to have an idea in the morning and then put it on TV that night is when you have that and then you don't have it and you try and develop things and it takes forever. And, that you know, yeah. you, you do a script change and then it's like, I'm sorry, she's in Baha- the Bahamas for two weeks. <laughs> and then, you know, and then you wait and you wait and then it's like, oh, it, it's so frustrating. Development is so frustrating. So the immediacy of that kind of television just really spoke to me. And I was very happy. And also at the time, it was going to be The Tonight Show, which is like being mm-hmm. a tenured professor. Yeah. In show business. Right. So I was like, yeah, of course, I'll come back and work for you. And I I mean, and he and I never stopped being friends or friend family kind of overlap. So uh, I was very happy to go. How much taller is he than you? Like about five feet, three Uh, feet? I don't know. (laughs) People are always surprised because I'm 6'1". 
and Holy moly. he's six five. It's also hard to tell how tall you are on a podcast, which you now have a you've had a you've been podcasting now for how long? A couple years now? Oh gosh. It's been yeah, I think four years now. It's called the Three Questions. It's an interview podcast and it's basically I've tried to trick people into having a little mini therapy session. They all get the same questions, right? Yeah. It sounds like it's a that James Lipton, you know, like what sound turns you on. It's not like yeah. that. It's not like a template. <laughs> it's just meant it's just a jumping off point for com- the conversation. And because the three questions are, where do you come from? Where are you going? And what have you learned? And it's just to basically Mm. say it's an excuse to ask people about their history. To me, they're the basic kind of questions of of therapeutic thought. Mm. Why am I the way I am? What am I going to do with it from now on? And what's the point? They are big questions. Really, yeah. really yeah. good jumping off points. Andy, whenever we have a guest on, I always like to say how you're famous in my household. Like when we had Sarah Silverman, I said she's most famous for being Vanellope and Wreck-It Ralph and Patton Oswalt. <laughs> I said he's most famous for Remy. Yeah. And if I were to ask my 13-year-old daughter, she would say, oh, yeah, that's Morris from Elf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, y- you have a-, a list of credits a mile long, but that's where my 13-year-old daughter would recognize you because it's one of her favorite movies and we watch it every year on December 1st. <laughs> so you're always in our house all around Christmas. It's a wonderful thing to be on. A, I mean, I'm literally in a Christmas classic. Absolutely. It's one of the best movies ever made. Yeah. I'm not even Christian. I don't even do Christmas <laughs> and it's one of the best movies ever made. No, it's, it's, it is. It's such a great movie and it, cause you know, like a lot of movies that are sort of touching and sentimental aren't that funny and it's mm-hmm. really funny and really touching so and funny. really sentimental. So. It is so funny. And people always laugh at me when I say that I think that's Will Ferrell's best acting role Mm. because he wasn't playing an elf. He was an elf. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that's what's so believable. So you're always with us, Andy, not only on many of your TV shows, but every Christmas. And it is a classic. You're so right. Yeah. Can I ask both of you guys, have you ever made the spaghetti dish from the show? No. From the film? Oh, you haven't? One of my best friends, every year at Christmas, the family makes it. They get into their oh. elf, like, Snuggies, and they make it. They said it's delicious. That's disgusting. Maple syrup and M&Ms <laughs> on spaghetti, right? Yeah, it's something mm. like that. Yeah, a lot, a lot of candy and stuff. They yeah. said it's delicious. I... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it one year when I'm at her house. I don't know um, that. I, I did. That's, I mean, I love maple syrup, but mm, uh, <laughs> not on spaghetti. Let's jump into our crash course. So Ellen, I'm going to can... need you to pronounce all the Italian names for me. I'm not good. I with... got it. <laughs> is that how you do it? Is that how you do it? All you have to do is put your fingers together and just to go yeah. like this. Oh. And then you're going to sound Italian. <laughs> you can do it because you're Italian. I'm going to try I give you the right. You can appropriate my culture just for All today. Right. The both of you. I'm going to I'm going to scrub a lot in these names. All right. Yep. Let's jump into our crash course of the murder of Meredith Kircher and the wrongful conviction of Amanda Knox. Rabia, I am so excited. Haya is back. Yes, thank you, Haya, for coming back. We love Haya. My kids love Haya. It's finally a way to get vitamins into my kids that they love to eat that are not chock full of sugar. Children's vitamins, some have, get a load of this, Rabia, five grams of sugar. That's basically like candy in disguise. That's why Haya was created. It kind of fills in the common gaps in modern children's diets. It is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables, and then it is supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. That's including vitamin D, B12, C, zinc, and so many 
many others. They're basically like a super vitamin. Listen, I have a six-year-old who lives on mac and cheese, and I know he needs <laughs> these supplements, all right? But also, the thing about Haya, they're non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, and everything else you can imagine. It's designed for kids of all ages, and it's sent straight to your door so that you just have one less thing to worry about, which I love. I got to fight my kid. He thinks they're like delicious little gummies, so I get him like, no, you only get two. Yeah, but at least you know they're not full of teaspoons of sugar. So yeah. we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash solve the case. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash solve the case and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. And they have those cute bottles they can decorate too. Yeah, the stickers, they come with stickers. Rabia, you and I have been waiting to talk about Blue Nile jewelry. Have we not? We have been showing off our bling to each other um, ever since we got our Blue Nile jewelry. It is beautiful. I guess they say that being a mother is one of life's greatest journeys. <laughs> I guess. But Mother's Day is coming up and Blue Nile can help you celebrate. But I am telling you, you do not have to be a mother or a woman because when you look <laughs> at this website at BlueNile.com, you will absolutely be gobsmacked at how sparkly and beautiful their jewelry is. I got this oval garnet and diamond sidestone ring. It is stunning. The quality is, it's just so beautifully crafted. I cannot tell you. And I got it like within a week. And they have expert guidance and they have all these education materials and they have yeah. these online tools that can help you understand because there's so many hassles to jewelry shopping and you want to get that perfect piece because it is an investment. But they're competitive. Look, they have a diamond price guarantee that allows you to compare a competitor's diamond against one of theirs. And Blue Nile would meet or beat a competitor's price. That's amazing. And every order is insured and it arrives quickly in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. The shipping is free and so are the returns. I got these beautiful dangle opal earrings. They oh, almost look antique, but they are stunning. so delicate. And my mom's birthstone is opal and I remember Aww. being so jealous of it, but they are Gorgeous. Right now, get up to 50% off that Mother's Day gift or any gift that your mom will love at BlueNile.com. 50, five, zero. Go to BlueNile.com and see what beautiful pieces they have. There is something about being young that makes you fearless. I know we all have our stories of terrible, risky choices we made when we were young and, you know, things that we'd never repeat as we got older. I mean, not that I was any kind of rebel, but I can say with some shame that until I had my first child, I never wore a seatbelt in a car, not as a passenger or as a driver. It was the prospect of my baby getting hurt that finally put the fear of a car accident in me. And ever since then, I've always made sure everyone in my car is properly buckled up. But yeah, there's something about being young that prevents us from fearing the worst or even imagining it. And that's why in September of 2007, a student from the UK by the name of Meredith Kircher successfully fought her family and convinced them to let her move to Perugia, Italy to study. According to Meredith's sister, their parents weren't fully on board with her plans and it took some negotiating to get them to go along with them. Maybe they had a foreboding feeling about their baby girl going so far. 
a premonition that they couldn't protect her from the evil in the world from such a distance. Like many parents though, they eventually gave in to their daughter's insistence and passion. After all, she was 21, and while she might have been their baby, she was an adult by most standards. Meredith had always loved Italian culture and language and the country itself, and until the fall semester of 2007, she had been studying Italian at Leeds University. That semester, however, Meredith transferred to the University of Perugia in the town of Perugia, Italy, to study history, political theory, and cinema. It was an exciting move for her, given the town's rich cultural and artistic history, and given the fact that it was a college town with thousands of young students from across the globe studying and partying there. She had no fear of what might lay ahead because she had no way of knowing that she would not survive the semester. On September 1st, Meredith left her home in the UK for the last time. A little over a week later, on September 10th, 2007, she moved into the upstairs portion of a cottage locating at number seven, Via de la Proga Perugia. And the cottage was divided into two flats with four females sharing the top floor and four males sharing the bottom flat. Meredith's roommates were two Italian attorney trainees and an American exchange student by the name of Amanda Knox. 20-year-old Amanda Knox had moved from Seattle after working three jobs in order to be able to study abroad at the University of Foreigners in Perugia that year. Whereas Meredith was more studious and serious, Knox was known for her bubbly social personality. While there were rumors that there may have been some tension between the two, the facts don't seem to bear it out. In fact, on more than one occasion, Meredith and Amanda went out, attending the Euro Chocolate Festival in mid-October together, and then again on October 25th when they went to a classical music concert. That's where Amanda would meet Raffaele Solecito, a handsome 23-year-old student studying computer science at the University of Perugia. And the chance meeting not only kicked off a whirlwind romance between Amanda and Raffaele, but shortly thereafter, it would forever bind the three students in a horrifying and unimaginable way. On the evening of November 1st, 2007, Meredith visited with friends in another part of Perugia, and she left to return home at 8.45 that night. As she headed back to her flat, she called her mom at 8.56 p.m., but the call went unanswered. Five minutes later, at 9.01 p.m., Meredith was seen on CCTV footage as she went towards the gate of the cottage where she lived. The next known activity connected to Meredith is a call placed from her cell phone at 9.58 p.m when the number to an answering machine was dialed, but the call cut off before the machine's welcome message even ended. Two minutes later, at 10 p.m., her phone is used to call a bank, but the call doesn't go through because the country code required to make the call wasn't dialed properly. Then, at 10.13 p.m., the phone connected to an internet service for nine seconds, which seemed to indicate she might have gotten an incoming multimedia message. The thing about this connection is that it doesn't come through the towers that she would normally have been connected to from her flat. Rather, it connected to a cell tower over a mile away on the other side of the valley. The name of the cell tower it connects to is Wind Cell 30064, and it's actually a tower that covers the expanse of a park called the St. Angelo Park. The reason this is significant is because directly across from the park lived a woman named Isabetta Lana. That same night, between 9.30 and 10 p.m., Lana received a totally strange call. 
On the other end of the line was a man who told her not to use her toilet because there was a bomb in it. She, understandably terrified, called the police, who arrived 10 minutes later to check out her home and thankfully found nothing concerning anywhere on her property. The next morning, though, her family found two mobile phones in their garden. The Lannas take the phone to the Polizia Postale e delle Comunicadadera, better known as the Postal Police, whose jurisdiction is crimes belonging to the communication field, criminal activities on the internet, and cybercrime in general. They are quickly able to determine that one of the phones is registered to number 7 Via della Pagola, the address where both Meredith and Amanda live. When the authorities arrive to the address, they find Amanda Knox and her boyfriend Raffaele standing in the driveway because Raffaele had already called the police earlier because it seemed there had been a break-in at the flat. According to them both, they had spent the night at his apartment and Amanda had returned home in the morning to wash up and change. When she arrived, she found the front door open but didn't immediately think something was off. She apparently went straight to the shower where she noticed drops of blood and stains in the bathroom and then went to a second bathroom where she saw that someone had used the toilet. At that point, she got freaked out and left to fetch her boyfriend, Raffaele. When they returned, they discovered one of the bedrooms had a huge rock thrown in the window and realized then that there had been a break-in. So the other bedroom seemed fine, except for Meredith's. And that door was locked from the inside and no one was answering. They tried calling her phone again and again, but no one answered. After the advisement of Amanda's mother back in the States, Amanda finally called the police. But remember, these weren't homicide police or even police police. They were the postal police. I don't know. They looked into postal crimes or something. So when Meredith's door was finally broken down by the authorities, that's when they found her deceased on the floor of her bedroom covered with a duvet. She was partially undressed and had clearly been stabbed many times. So many times, in fact, that the authorities didn't believe it could be the work of one single person. Meredith's autopsy would later reveal that not only was she stabbed on both sides of her neck, she was also strangled and sexually assaulted. The crime scene investigators and detectives then swarmed the scene. Amanda and Raffaele remained outside and were caught on video camera embracing each other and kissing. This footage would be part of the behavioral evidence later used against them. They thought that they didn't seem distressed at all, and at times they were even smiling or maybe even giggling as they hugged and kissed. The investigators grew more suspicious of Amanda and Raffaele when he was questioned a few days later and their stories seemed to diverge. According to Amanda, she was with Raffaele all night, but when interrogated, Raffaele said that he can't be sure that she was actually in his apartment the entire night. Maybe she left in the middle of the night? Certainly I asked her questions, Selecito says. Why did you take a shower? Why did she spend so much time there? The reporter later asks, what answers do you give yourself? And Selecito responds, I don't have answers. So they turned their attention to Amanda and they put her through a 53-hour interrogation, which led to the break that they needed, a confession. It's not a confession that she killed Meredith or that Raffaele did, but that her boss from the restaurant she worked at, an African man by the name of Patrick Lumbumba did. And Amanda confesses that she brought Patrick back to the apartment that night. He entered Meredith's bedroom while she stayed outside. She heard screams, she said, and then she covered her ears. 
hours. But at the same time she was giving this account, she repeats over and over that she wasn't sure if this story was real or imagined. She was exhausted and terrified at this point because the reality started to escape her. After all, she had been through this interrogation, which 12 cops were screaming at her in Italian, threatening her, and they even physically abused her. They told me that I was trying to protect someone. Mi è stato detto che stavo cercando di proteggere qualcuno. But I wasn't trying to protect anyone. Ma non stavo proteggendo nessuno. And they continued to put so much emphasis e continuavano a mettere così tanta enfasi on this message that I had received from Patrick. Da Patrick. And so e quindi, I almost was convinced that I had ero met him. Che Amanda's doubts about what she remembered weren't enough to sway the police, though. They arrested Patrick Lumumba, as well as Amanda and Raffaele, because they believed they had more to do with the murder than she had confessed to. A couple of weeks later, though, they had to release Patrick when he presented an airtight alibi of being at his business the night that Meredith was murdered. So now they've got Amanda and her boyfriend. When another problem presents itself, they find hard evidence linking the murder to a man by the name of Rudy Guede. The evidence? It's his bloody thumbprint on a pillowcase found under Meredith and his DNA on her clothing and on her actual body. Goede, an immigrant from the Ivory Coast, already had a history of break-ins, including one where he used a large rock to break a window and stealing cell phones. The case against him further solidified when CCTV footage was identified showing him in the area on the night of the murder. Goede's defense was this, that yes, he was there at Meredith's invitation, but they made out a bit and then he went to the bathroom. When he left the bathroom, he said a man came out of nowhere with a knife and tried to attack him. He defended himself and the man ran away. He said he then discovered Meredith's body and wanted to help her, but he was scared for himself, so he ran away too. Now, by this point, the prosecution had developed quite a novel theory of the crime that all three of them, Amanda, Raffaele, and Rudy, were involved in an erotic game led by Amanda that went too far. As far as they were concerned, all three were guilty of murder, despite the evidence to the contrary. What followed was years of ass-hattery in the Italian criminal justice system with three trials, three convictions, four appeals, three Supreme Court rulings, and eventually two acquittals. That of Amanda Knox and Raffaele Solecito. Oh, this story. So, what are your thoughts, Andy? <laughs> well, Take I want to know, what, what do you remember from that time? Do you remember being like invested and like drawn in with all the media? It was nonstop. We want to talk about Amanda Knox. Amanda Knox. Amanda Knox. 22 year old college student. Amanda Knox. Just beginning a year abroad. To Perugia, Italy. Amanda Knox. Amanda Knox. Young American student accused of murder and sexual violence charges in connection with the death of 21 year old British student. Meredith Kircher. A big mention aus aller Welt. Amanda Knox. Killed Kircher in a sadistic sex game gone awry. She was a tabloid obsession. She, the innocent, fun loving American student, were a debauch and ruthless young woman. New evidence shown in an Italian court at the murder trial of Amanda Knox. Latest on Amanda Knox. Verdict is about to be announced. Amanda Knox was convicted of murder. American student Amanda Knox was found guilty in the murder trial of Amanda Knox, which has been underway in Italy. Amanda Knox's trial overseas where American students. Knox has always said she's innocent. Amanda Knox is opening up about the guilty verdict. Amanda Knox is speaking out from her jail cell in Italy. Amanda Knox was straightening up her prison cell. Amanda Knox is explosive 
exclusive letter about her life behind bars. Italy's top court has acquitted Amanda Knox. The Italian Supreme Court just now ordering a new trial. The justices overturned her acquittal from 2011. Ordering a retrial. A far different legal system, Italy versus the U.S. Things work differently in the Italian justice system. Sure. Completely different and in some ways very puzzling. Latest this morning on the Amanda Knox, who's appealing her 2009 murder conviction in Italy. Amanda Knox's murder conviction. Guilty again. For Amanda Knox. So much is writing on this appeal. Can she be forced to return to Italy to serve a prison sentence for the last round of this appeal trial? More twists and turns than a Hollywood movie. Amanda Knox and Selecido. Acquittal on all murder charges and pandemonium in the streets of Perugia. Last time, Amanda Knox had nothing to do with Kircher's murder. Amanda Knox spent four years in prison in Italy for a murder she did not commit. Before an appeals court set her free. There was never any real DNA evidence, no reliable eyewitnesses. Amanda Knox, back in the spotlight. So you decided to go visit where you're going to live in Italy? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to um, actually getting a place to live. Rabia, we are very different in many ways, but you and I picked out the very exact same Jenny Kane sweaters. Am I telling the truth? They have this amazing catalog of so many gorgeous pieces, and we picked out not just the same sweater, but the same color. We got the cashmere cocoon cardigan and camel. Yes. So you are really in for a treat. I am so happy that Jenny Kane is a sponsor because the thing about Jenny Kane is like it's very luxurious, classic, mm -hmm. comfortable and like really minimalist, too, because they have cotton and they have cashmere. It just looks gorgeous, like a wardrobe essential, wouldn't you say? It is going to be one of those pieces where you're just going to keep it forever. It's a cashmere sweater. It is so yeah. I love it because I do love those pieces that you keep forever and and Jenny Kane really has that like art of simplicity down. Obviously comfort and quality, but it's timeless. I mean, we're going to wear that sweater. You can wear it 20 years in the past or 20 years in the future. It's so chic. We are moving into dress season and they have some beautiful dresses. The Riviera slip dress is the definition of luxury. They have a cove dress. It's so effortless to style. Listen, if you're going out on vacation, you got you need some resort wear. I'm mean, like, they just have the stuff that's a classic and timeless and you're going to look so put together with these pieces. So find your forever pieces at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your order when you use code solve the case at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code solve the case. It is the brand go-to for all season staples. Treat yourself because you deserve it. Yeah. Was it 2007? Is that what it was? Or? Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I remember, of, you know, and it's like, with so many of these cases and I mean, and I, I don't, it, it's just, it's, if it's a pretty person involved in the crime, mm -hmm. it gets a lot of play. And that was yeah. kind of seemed to be the thing that got this thing a lot of play. And what was, you know, it's the same way. Well, I mean, there's also, you know, the racist aspect of it, where if it's a, a black person, that's, you know, a victim or, a you know, like an abducted black person doesn't get the same play as like an abducted right. blonde woman. And so, I mean, I just kind of remember that. I, I don't think I was like paying full close attention to it. And I just saw enough of it that but I do remember it seemed kind of. Well, I, it seemed absurd, the notion that three people would get together just to m murder some woman. Mm -hmm. And especially like the way that the prosecution seemed to frame it just sounded like 
an over-emotional Italian grandmother saying it, you know, and I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. and there were details that they were saying, like, I remember something about them saying that, I mean, it was, and it was, you know, it must have been translated from Italian, but just that Amanda Knox had beaten the woman's head, banged her head against the wall and said something like, now you're not so big, are you? Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Which is like, how would they know that? I mean, I don't even yeah. think, I don't think Rudy uh, Geta or whatever his name is said that. It's just something that they made up. Also, the other thing that I remember that was the grabber was the, the sex thing. You know, the mm-hmm. fact that they made it seem like Amanda Knox was just insatiable and that they were mm-hmm. making out outside the apartment, which, you know, yeah. is weird. It is a little bit weird to find out your roommate's murdered and then to sit and make out with your boyfriend. I mean, to be fair, it was some it was a couple of kisses. Would you call it making out? Yeah. It was strange. They they were yeah. 20 years old. Yeah. They had smoke pot the night before. Yeah. Kind of looked tired, yeah. oddly. But I think you're right. All the ugly things we hate about true crime are encapsulated in this case. And I do oh, yeah. think that femme fatale part aspect of it is really naughty. You know, we expect a man to be violent because most violent crimes are committed by man. We expect to commit a crime, but a woman and how dare this woman. And she was very open. And how dare a woman like sex? If she likes sex, she must be a sex maniac. Yeah. But also, where did we get that she liked sex other than she just met this guy and they were dating? I mean, like, how where did I, I don't even know where that came from. It was kind of things that she had said, like when they interrogated her, they said, what did you do the night before? And she said, we watched movies. We had sex. We smoked pot. The erotic game was always part of the case. I think that night, Amanda wanted to make Meredith pay for judging her, which she found offensive. A woman has a sex. Uh, oh, she must be a murderer. <laughs> like, it's such a patriarchal thing. That's why the whole Foxy Noxy came into play, because they packaged it with that whole sex ring. Oh, she wanted to have a sex with him and him. And it turned into almost like a movie. And then what ended up happening is Meredith Kircher disappeared from the narrative. Yeah. And she wasn't even the yeah. focus of her own murder trial. Amanda Knox was. Yeah. I'll be honest. I mean, Amanda Knox, I mean, the name everybody knows and we can recognize her easily without doing the research for this particular episode. If you had shown me a bunch of pictures, I probably couldn't have picked Meredith out of of the photos. I, did, I didn't, I knew the name, but I didn't know even what she looked like because he never saw her. Yeah. I said that to Rabia before we recorded. I want to do a woman on the street and go and say, do you know who Amanda Knox is? And then say, do you know who Meredith Kircher is? Yeah. Because everybody knows Amanda Knox, but the obviously the gross miscarriage of justice that happened to Amanda is a whole separate tragedy. But for some reason, we've lost Meredith's story there. Yeah. The thing about this case is it's not just like every terrible thing about true crime that we should hate encapsulated into one thing. It's also like, you know, I do innocence work. It's also every terrible thing about how somebody is wrongfully convicted encapsulated into one of it. I want to go into this investigation. What in the Scooby-Doo happened in this investigation? I would have trusted Shaggy more than these Italian <laughs> investigators. Well, well, here's the thing. You know, I, I do want to just say one thing about my impression about the media at the time, because I, I wasn't that fully invested. It's just it, every tabloid, she's on the cover, you know, constantly in the 24-hour news cycle. And they're not doing anything in depth. But I did not realize for a long time 
how young that they both were, first of all, that Amanda, like they made Amanda seem, she was 20, that's a kid, 20 years old. Yeah. That's a kid. Okay. And I, for some reason, and at the time I thought she was like an older, more sophisticated woman about town who, you know, had all these affairs and just, I I don't, I bought it. I bought it is what I'm saying. Cause I didn't take the time. It wasn't important enough for me to like figure it out, but I did buy it. I was like, oh, maybe that's what it is. When you say you bought it, you believed she was guilty? I thought maybe, yeah. Maybe. I mean, I I just, I was just like, "Mm, I don't know. I mean, like I I didn't spend enough time just like Scott Peterson and all these other cases that were crazy in the media. I didn't spend enough time like doing any digging. And at the time, the narrative we're getting is the the state's narrative. It's it's the police doing all the talking and the prosecutors, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're telling the stories. I remember, too. I mean, I remember something about this at the time. And then, in, you know, I kind of was brushing up on the case afterwards. There was something about it was either Amanda Knox's father or stepfather. She had traveled to Italy before on a family trip. And then what she when she wanted to go, I think that her father, it was like I say, it was either her father or stepfather said she's too naive. She's mm. too mm. gullible. And I remember, like, at the time, people that knew her said, she's not really savvy. And I mean, it it felt Mm. like it was they were saying even beyond being 20 years old, she just, you know, who knows what that is, you know. But I mean, Mm -hmm. but it it just does seem like that kind of person put into this kind of situation. It's just, you know, it's a it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. I mean, because she didn't have a lawyer in that interrogation Mm -hmm. or, you know, she just they were hitting her in the head and they were calling her names and calling her stupid. And I I mean, you would be terrified. There were any time there were eight to 12 men screaming at her in Italian. It was a female officer that slapped her, slapped her a few times. Oh, Mm -hmm. it was a female. Yeah, it was a female officer that slapped her a few times. But they were also, you know, they were I think that they were saying things about, you know, like you did it, didn't you? And it was a Mm -hmm. sex thing. Wasn't it like they Mm -hmm. were convinced that it was a sex thing and that they were all in it for some kind of sex reason? Mm -hmm. You know, what's crazy to me is the fact that it wasn't like they all bought it. The prosecutors believed it. The investigators believed it. They're all like, yeah, that makes total sense. Even though they've got a crime scene full of forensic evidence, it is like a forensic investigator's crime scene dream. Okay, every kind of forensic evidence a person can leave behind was left behind. The case is right there in front of you. And you're you're making up a whole thing and everybody seems to be on board. Like how are there wasn't a single person in that room was like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That seems kind of far fetched. Well, well, like Rudy Geddes DNA was all over everything. Mm -hmm. Right. There was like I remember one of the points that uh, I was reading about last night was that Rafaela, there was some of his DNA on Meredith's bra clasp, just Mm -hmm. on the metal hook of the bra of the bra clasp. And then, you know, like an investigator years later said, well, what probably happened was an investigator, uh, somebody collecting evidence, probably touched the doorknob, touched something else. And then, you know, where Raphael's DNA was on a doorknob or on a counter or on mm-hmm. something and then touched the clasp, probably, you know, probably picked it up by just the clasp thinking I'm not going to, you know, but that was probably because and that just. You know, and that was not even looked at, but it's like, how do you get DNA just on a bra? Like on one little hook. Yeah, you'd, on one you'd have hook. to like be doing it with an eyedropper or something. <laughs> yeah, but bringing up the clasp, I mean, we can we can go into all the messed up things, but since you brought up the clasp, that clasp was photographed 
on November 2nd on Meredith's floor, but it actually wasn't even collected into evidence until December 18th. Well, where was it? Wait, you mean the bra or the clasp? The bra, the clasp would have been cut off the bra. Yeah, Remember the, yeah it they was find, just yeah. the little clasp. So for 46 days yeah, yeah, yeah. after the investigators had processed the place and they had done several illegal processes of it, that missing bra clasp, they claimed had his DNA on it, but it also had three other unaccounted DNA male profiles on it. Probably the invest, it was the guys in the, yes. Was it investigator? Was it the guy who took her laundry? Pizza delivery guy. To your point, Andy, (laughs) who knows? It sat there for 46 days. Yeah. This was a clown show. I mean, the, what the investigator, like what they had, first of all, they have a team of people go in. They didn't change. Andy, you're like exactly right. They didn't even change gloves a lot of times between handling stuff. So they're like scrubbing blood off a wall when they're picking stuff up off the floor. Mm-hmm. And so you're, they are transferring all kinds of things. And here's the thing. Amanda lives there. So Amanda's DNA is going to be there. They found yeah. um, like in the, the one bathroom, they found like there was five samples in which Amanda's DNA was like mixed with Meredith. Yeah, they live together. They use the bathroom. But you know where they did not find? Amanda Knox's DNA anywhere? In her bedroom, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which the, the authorities were like, well, she cleaned it real well, but she left Rudy's DNA behind? She just cleaned, she could, she had amazing uh, powers of perception where she could only, she could, <laughs> she had a black yeah. light in her eyeball that she could see it with <laughs> her uh, DNA only and clean it up, yeah. It is, it really does sound preposterous. I did a little side reading as I'm reading this about just like this kind of court is and it's like there's not a jury there's two professional judges and then i think six what they call lay judges so and it's not really a jury they're judges i think it's between the ages of 21 and 65 they can't be in the military the police or uh, i i don't know i can't remember medical or you know a doctor or something and every year this list of of eligible people is submitted to whoever's in charge and then people are picked to be these lay judges for like six months minimum. So they're not even lawyers. They're not lawyers. They're not lawyers. And, and and they are just overseen by two professional magistrates. But it just, it's such a weird system. Think about your relatives, yeah. people. Think about yeah. your uncles. Like anybody could yeah, be on that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on that panel. Honestly, I did a lot of research about the differences between U.S. trials and Italian trials because it is a clown show, Rabia. You know, order in the courtroom. Yeah. Have you ever been to an Italian dinner at my house <laughs> and in with all my relatives? Everyone's talking at the same time. Same in the courtroom. Italy, you got great food. You got really, really shitty justice policies. But the lawyers are talking. The judges are talking. People are interrupting. Also, the press is there and they talk at this volume to Mm. each other. Mm. It is absolute. It it is Mm. a circus and something I did not know. You guys, I don't know if you read this too, Andy. The verdict, because there were so many trials, it doesn't have to be unanimous. Mm. It just has to be the majority. They're like, everybody thinks she's a guilty great. We go have wine and that's and that's done. It I could not believe I was the same as you guys. I knew the peripheral story of this, but diving in, it's crazy. 
So I think that's a good place to, you know, take a little break. We've got a lot of discussion ahead of us. Yeah. So join us tomorrow for part two with Andy Richter. Or if you are on the Patreon, just pop on over to part two and listen to the second half of our conversation. It's like you will have gone forward in the future. We're already there. We'll see you then with Andy Richter. 